All right, welcome into another Future Socks video interview. And my special guest today, as you can see right there, is a man with uh, many jobs, but uh, one of his more notable jobs, the one we're focusing on today, is the voice of the Chicago White Sox, Jason Benetti. Thanks a lot for your time today, man. Appreciate it. Hey, Clinton, great to see you. Wish it was at Mackey, but uh, look, we take what we can get over Zoom, right? Absolutely. We're uh, we're, we're doing what we can. We're, we're at least glad sports are on their way back and things are, you know, things are getting closer to where they were a year ago at this time or so, but uh, it's been, a, it's been a wild year, but uh, yeah, you said you're, you're still in Chicago, you're heading up to spring training next Saturday night. First spring training game is Sunday, which is, it's, it's crazy to think that next Monday is March already, but, uh, <laughs> but here we are. Um, and I'm sure you're excited to uh, get out of this weather and get out there a little bit. Yeah, I keep looking out my window to see how much of it's melted. And it looks like maybe like 600 of the inches of snow have melted, but I think we're still at about 142, so yeah. I think I saw uh, yesterday on the news, or I don't know where it was, Twitter, that this has been the snowiest three weeks in Chicago since 1979 or something. That's Yeah, I'm out for that. I just don't like... Why, why, why do we, why do we have to have this? Have we not, have we not dealt with enough this year? It's like last night as we're taping this, right? So we're taping this on Monday, last night, Sunday night. It's like, okay, it's raining some. And then, you know what? No, 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 no. It needs to snow a little bit. Yeah. Like, let's get a little snow in there. Mix it in. Get a couple more inches for just for fun. Why not? Yeah. yeah like my, I don't, I want to uh, not be a child of mother nature anymore. Like, can I'm we have different. Can we have different uh, natural parents here? <laughs> well, let's get into the, uh, the the biggest names, I guess, prospect-wise for the uh, White Sox going in. And you know, I've, I've talked with some of the players, some some other media people, and you know, obviously the big three names are, are Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, and Garrett Crochet. You know, Michael Kopech, obviously, he's been around in the system, you know, but he hasn't pitched in a couple of years, so it's like they've added him this year, like a free agent type of deal. We saw what Garrett Crochet could do down the stretch last year, which, I mean, that's just absolute freak of nature. So a full season of him is going to be awesome. And then Andrew Vaughn, who, uh, for from deducing from the moves that they did or did not make, I mean, it looks like the DH spot is his to lose out of, or his to, to win out of spring training, you know, if all goes well for him. Uh, let, let's start with Andrew Vaughn. I, I spoke with him a couple of weeks ago, and he was at the alternate site last year and got some inter-squad games in what do you think of Andrew Vaughn I mean I know that's a loaded question but what do you what do you think of Andrew Vaughn so I go back to when he was drafted a couple of years ago I talked to my college baseball friends uh and you know I don't I don't want to say here's a list of all the 30 uh friends of mine because I don't have 30 friends overall but I talked to my college baseball friends and one of the the, the first thing that basically every one of them said was he is the most ready bat in the draft and I know, he, you know, we're past that now, right? But I do believe that his level of consistency and his level of readiness plays into this moment here, right? So it, it, who knows what he would have done with a full minor league season last year and what numbers he would have put up. However, I think his confidence is there. I think uh, his bat has always been prepared for a situation such as this one. And I do believe that the White Sox after Encarnacion last year must have said, hey, uh, let's open this up at least to Andrew Vaughn. Now, Rick Hahn in an interview with Len Casper and I 
intimated the possibility of using the second catcher at points as the DH. That's something the Sox did last year with Grandal and, and McCann. But, uh, you know, it seems to me that Andrew Vaughn's path is there. And I, I know there are some people who say, you know, he's untested and all that comes along with it. I think we found out last year in Major League Baseball that untested isn't the scarlet letter that we think it is. And Garrett Crochet is the perfect example of that. Like he just would not have gotten that opportunity if not for the funky season that we had. And I, I wonder if out of all of this, organizations, not only the White Sox, but organizations might rethink the slow and steady wins the race path of minor league advancement. I think people's eyes may be trained differently after this regarding when to bring young talent to Major League Baseball. It's funny you, you brought that up because yesterday I, I was listening to, uh, to the score and Mark Grody was, they're talking about, you know, some of the prospects. And I was just thinking like, you know, you saw what Randy Rosarena did for the Rays last year. And just, I mean, for, for people that don't normally follow baseball, I mean, he came out of nowhere. And even for people that do follow baseball, he came out of nowhere and just took the world by storm and led the Rays you know, along with their pitching, but led the Rays to uh, as far as they got. And I think that, you know, some of these guys who in that upper echelon, like Spencer Torkelson's, the Andrew Vaughn's, I mean, those kinds of guys that maybe you throw Nick Madrigal in there who a couple of years ago, who, who are in college, but they're ready to go right now. And I've always wondered, you know, you, you see NBA players and football players, I know they're different sports, but you know, they're drafted, they're contributing right away, or at least in the first couple of weeks. And with baseball, that you you go back to what Brandon Finnegan with the Royals. I mean, that's the other, that's the only name that I can think of that really stands out who had an impact, had an impact like uh, Garrett Crochet did. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you go back through the list of people who went straight to the major leagues, and and one of them turned out to be a White Sox pitcher. And it's like if people don't know the story, Jim Abbott went straight to the major leagues. Jim Abbott skipped the minor leagues, and Jim Abbott was born with one hand. I mean, uh, John Olerud's on that list as well. Um, and, and I don't think that's for everybody. Right. But I, I, my first year at Clinton in minor league baseball affiliated ball was 2006. I did an independent season in 2005 with the Windy City Thunderbolts near Chicago. But my first season in minor league ball was 06. And I did about 10 years of minor league baseball. And one of the things that struck me was the teaching in minor league baseball like if you, if you read books like the talent code or some of the Gladwell stuff, but like the, the talent code specifically and, and a book called mindset that's sort of, that's mentioned in the talent code. Uh, I think specific focused practice is not what people got in minor league baseball in previous years. It was like, okay, go take BP and then see what you do tonight. And then like, uh, you know, a roving instructor would show up and that'd be the end of the line in terms of teaching. And guys slipped through the cracks. I remember uh, Frank Herman, who used to pitch for the Indians. He was a Harvard alum. Frank Herman told me in 2007, we were in Kinston, North Carolina. He was pitching against my team, the Salem Avalanche. And we had a fairly long conversation about so, sometimes how he felt like they didn't even care about him because he was a 30-something round draft pick. And I think that's changing for the better in baseball. I know people are critics uh, in some realms, and rightfully so, of the new minor league baseball setup. But I do think the gap now between um, teaching in the majors and teaching in the minors and information gathering in the minors and the majors 
is closing together. I think there's less of a gap, which to me means that the ascent of the top prospects might be even faster and with better reason because you're doing more specific learning in the minors instead of saying like, ah, go get him, kid. And then if, you know, if he doesn't do it, it's like kind of his fault. So to me, I think we're going to see more of that like rapid fire ascent to the majors, even with, you know, obviously there's the counterbalance of service time and all that comes along with it. But I would bet you those rules change with the new collective bargaining agreement too. Two, two things real quick, and, and then we'll move to Michael Kopech. I, I think, you know, one of those things that you mentioned, like, let's say uh, that an Andrew Vaughn type of guy does do that. Another thing to uh, think about is kind of like, you know, in football, when you've got a court, like you go back to Russell Wilson in his early years, he was on that rookie contract and they were able to put money elsewhere. And that, that's kind of the same idea with you've, if you get Andrew Vaughn, who hits 20 home runs out of the DH spot, you save so much money as opposed to going to get a Nelson Cruz and you've got that extra money to spend somewhere else. Yeah, it's a value bonus. And I actually think it's better for baseball if younger players are better younger. Right. Like, I mean, you, you think about uh, what it does to excite a fan base to have young talent infused. Like, we've seen it with the White Sox. To know that you're going to go out and for years see Luis Robert and Yoan Moncada and Tim Anderson and that whole group, that, that's the way you protect against the free agency era of people in and out of your uniform. Like, this is the way that you get people interested for a long time. Like, I, I became a Sox fan because of Robin and Frank and Ozzy and One Dog in Center and, and, those, and Joey Cora and those guys, like Ron Carcovice. Like but the pitching staff, too, like Blackjack, Alex, Alex Fernandez, Wilson Alvarez, like, that was a core for some years. And, and, you know, if not for the Blue Jays in the early 90s, who knows? But... I think that's the way you make sure people are interested long term because I, and, and, and you probably have a better shot at winning because I've, you know, I've heard this a lot in the White Sox clubhouse when we could go in there more freely, but this is a group of young talent that wants to do this together. And I think when that sort of fractures because of the free agency grab and go situation, uh, you lose a little bit of that atmosphere and you get more of the business talk. Let's move uh, on to Michael Kopech, a guy who uh, back in 2018, I you know saw him make several starts down in Charlotte and got to talk to him after games and stuff. But first thing that obviously stood out to me was a very, very smart, intelligent pitcher. You know, some guys, they just go out there and do whatever. But, you know, in, in post games, it was this pitch in this situation. I, I knew I should have done this. And, you know, not every pitcher has that. So uh, it, it's great to see him back out there. I mean, we all know he's got a world of talent. We also know what he's had to deal with the last 18 months, whatever it's been. Uh, what, um, what can you tell us about Kopech right now and kind of what are your thoughts on him going into this season? Without talking to him specifically about what, you know, what was going on in his mind and what challenges he faced, I, I do think just the broad idea of sometimes you have to leave it to reappreciate it. And sometimes you have to leave it not even reappreciate it, but like file it in your brain in the most productive way. He was so, you know, you talk to him. He was so baseball driven, like he was defined by baseball and what it could do for him. But also like, I, you know, I remember asking him years ago, uh, how hard can a human throw a baseball? And he was like, we don't even know yet. 
And you get you got the feeling with that answer that he wanted to be the guy who was essentially the first man on the moon, but with miles per hour. Like and and he had he had the physical gifts to provide that. And so I think when when you become sort of the the wunderkind when you show up and all of that crashes in on you, sometimes you have to leave that in order to come back and see it. So I'm I'm happy for Michael and I'm I'm hopeful that Michael gets what he wants out of baseball and that you know Sox fans get to see him do what he does because you know there are a lot of talented people but not everybody has that special intensity about improvement. And sometimes that can corrode you from the inside and make life very difficult. But his level of engagement, his level of throw myself through a wall to throw this baseball through a wall is something that I think is special. And I think him harnessing that would be a very um, analogous story to what we saw from Lucas Giolito uh, a couple of years ago, you know, Lucas and that reclamation of who he was, I think that could be here again in a different fashion with Michael. Do you think that, um, you think the White Sox maybe didn't go out and uh, bring it, maybe not, maybe not Trevor Bauer, but maybe uh, a Marcus Stroman type of guy or one of the, the second tier pitchers because they think that with Cease, Lopez, Rodon, and Kopech, they can count on two of those four guys to round out the rotation. And do you think that's kind of why, or what do you, what were your thoughts on that? You know, the more I, uh, the more I talk to people, and I'm fortunate with ESPN to talk to people from other organizations mm -hmm. as well. The more I talk to people from around baseball, uh, the more I realize that sometimes the best laid plans get thwarted by somebody wants to go here or somebody wants to go there. So I, I don't really love speculating on like what the plan might have been because this is what the Sox have, but the plan might have been go get one or two or whomever, right? Like wh whoever that might be. And knowing how many plans get scrubbed by individual decisions or hey they chose somebody else like I, I think the Sox ideally uh had I think every team has other things in mind than where, where they land right. at the end of February like Everybody I, I really wants yeah that true I I and that's not that I know that sounds like a defense of the White Sox that like no, I mean, it's true that, that's not that's not what I mean to say because I do think like the Sox wanted to get Yasmani Grandal last year and they went boom and they got him, right? So that happened. And then the things that don't happen, we don't hear about. So I think if the Sox weren't at least somewhat comfortable with the progress or maybe what Ethan Katz can bring to some of these guys, I think they would have gone even harder at X. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I don't know what, their aims were necessarily. I know, I do know agents get inundated, uh, GMs get inundated by agents. Like it is a nonstop process. And again, like I, obviously the Sox could help themselves with another starting pitcher. Um, there's somebody who you could have that reliability of a four, but I think that goes for a lot of teams in major league baseball that, that could use another one of those guys. Let's go to Garrett Crochet. Uh, we saw, you know, what he could do last year down the stretch. And then, you know, um, thankfully the, the injury wasn't 
isn't, you know, flowing into this year and he's going to be ready to go. Has, does he, I mean, I know the, the obvious comp, but does he, do you, do you think of anyone else when you, when you see Crochet? I mean, obviously you, every White Sox fan immediately thinks of Chris Sale, but they're, I mean, they're different guys in, in different pitchers. But is there anyone that, that Crochet kind of reminds you of? Or, I mean, what, what do you think? You know, I, I just I, – obviously not the same mechanics, right? But – and I'm a pop culture guy. I tend to think of Garrett Crochet as like Randy Johnson, but specifically from Little Big League. <laughs> okay. Because there's that one time where like, it's like, oh, Randy Johnson's going to pitch, but he's pitching out of the bullpen. And you're like, dun, dun, dun. So Garrett Crochet comes in and I was just amazed at how strike throwing he was last year. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the sale comparisons obviously start in the bullpen and then who knows where he ends up. But uh, I, I feel very secret weapon-ish about Garrett Crochet. I kind of like the shroud of mystery of where will he be and where will he end up and how do you best deploy him? Because I do think he's one of, he's like a, he's sort of a stealth bomber-ish in that you can bring him into a game under the cover of darkness. People don't know if it's gonna be the sixth or the ninth or the third or you know whoever knows. And he can provide you um, missiles. I think, um, you know, you look at Crochet, but then you also look at Matt, what Matt Foster did, uh, what Cody Hoyer did. I mean, two guys, um, you know, the, the, the average White Sox fan had no idea who those guys were coming into the season. And, that, and first of all, that's the beauty of baseball. I mean, you've got, like, there's so many talented guys that they get that one break, boom, there they are. Uh, they, they take advantage of it, and they're there to stay, like those two guys are. That, that back into that bullpen is, uh, it's, it's pretty special. Yeah, and it's also the fragility of opportunity. Yeah. Like you show up, you throw twice, and it looks really good because who not like you just had it that day. And then suddenly that's the starting point for the franchise for you for the rest of the season. And then you have a situation where like you're Jonathan Stever and you come out and you can't throw strikes immediately, but you you have a you have a live arm. Like clearly Jonathan Stever's got stuff. And then people think of you in a certain way, right? So it is a very, the game goes over 162, but you still have like a fragile first impression. And I think that's really interesting. I think, I think those guys came at the right time for the Sox, Foster and Hoyer. And the one thing they did is they threw strikes, man. Like they came in, they looked undaunted, first of all. And I, I do believe, and I was talking to Dockage about this in a basketball game recently, like he thinks basketball is just better than it has ever been. And that flies in the face of the age group that he lives in, right? He's supposed to say, ah, I don't know. Um, I think baseball, you know, we're getting these almost bionically trained young men coming into the game because they can go anywhere for teaching and learning as of like age 12. Like you can go on Pitching Ninja's page and be like, okay, how does Marcus Stroman do it? He's going to slow it down for me. Or you, you have teachers even locally who are using advanced information. So I, I just think it's going to get better and better. People are going to be more and more prepared for being in Major League Baseball, which I think is awesome for the game. But I think we did see that shift. And I think seismically last year with the White Sox, especially in the bullpen, like guys showed up and they were ready to go. I don't think it has much to do with the lack of fans, although adrenaline is a funny drug. 
Uh, I do believe it's that people are just more prepared nowadays to go do what they do. We didn't even mention Zach Birdie. Um, you've got Jimmy Lambert, you've got Bernardo Flores who pitched last year, and then the guy who I think is as good as any of these guys once he gets a chance, and that's Tyler Johnson. I mean, they've got so many young arms, and that's people people talk about the the lack of depth in the sock system, and I think it's I think that would have been different if there would have been a season last year. Some of these guys, you would have been able to see them. And I think the tune about the system as a whole would have been, would be a little bit different. I think so too. Uh, and I think what you can't game out a minor league season, like some, there are always guys, every season that I had in the minors, there was always a guy who after a month and a month and a half, the organization, whether it's the Astros, the nationals, who I was in the minors with, they'd be like, man, we just cannot stop him from getting promoted. Like we just, we have to give him the shot. And I love that about the minor league baseball season. I really truly do. And I missed it last year because it's fun to just flip on a game and say like, you know what? This, this dude is like, there, there's always a Daniel Polka around. And, and he's, you know, he obviously like he was a supernova and then he flamed out quickly and now he's in Korea but we love him for that for that year that he put together and without a minor league season and without the opportunity to have those at bats in front of people I, I doubt that that ever would have happened and I think we all can say with a, with a smile on our face and like a fake story about the McDonald's All-American game we're better for knowing Daniel Polka. I think uh, I think Gavin Sheets has a chance to do that this year. I agree he would Talking to Gavin, like Gavin's no dummy. I talked to Gavin for the Dash Hot Stove Banquet. Yeah, I saw that. Like, the, yeah, the way he was talking about the outfield and his level of comfort with discussing it and like grab a glove, go do it. Like, I think he's a pretty dedicated worker. And I think he's like, he is seeing gaps and he's saying, get me in a place where I can provide. And not everybody does that when they're asked to make a position change. They really, like, we can all put a happy face on it. I've seen enough guys in the minors who are like, F this. I'm not, I'm not doing that with my full heart. I almost want to be bad at it, so they have to put me back at my other position. But I, I think now with the level of teaching that people can get, I, I'm a big Gavin Sheets guy, and I think – I would not be surprised if he contributed this year. Uh, one more question, then I kind of want to ask you like a, a broad question and let you go. So the the other thing, the other kind of thing that White Sox fans really, um, first of all, it, it's a beautiful thing when you can talk about one position or maybe one that needs an upgrade. And obviously that was right field. Just for whatever reason, Nomar just, it, it wasn't there last year, whatever. Um, and, you know, George Springer, Michael Brantley, and, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, and they did bring in Adam Eaton, of course, but they also signed Cespedes. And then you've got Luis Gonzalez. You've got Blake Rutherford. You throw Gavin Sheets in the mix, who's now out there in the outfield. You've got Mike Rodolfo, who, once again, a guy that, in my opinion, if he was healthy, there, I don't think there would have been a right field discussion going into this season. Who yeah, do, you, do you think there's someone that can take a step? I mean, we mentioned Gavin, but what do you think? Yeah, I, you know. I've always thought that Mike or Adolfo is one of those guys you walk up to him and you watch BP and you say, he'll be in the majors. I mean, immediately from meeting him a couple of years ago in spring training and then watching him comport himself in batting practice, there's something different about that physical specimen that doesn't always end up in the majors. But 
there's something about him that when he got hurt and he had to have the Tommy John surgery that year, I was like, man, that's really tough because there was an opportunity to rise there that I don't think is the same opportunity right now, just because of the amount of people. And, and, you know, after a couple of years, maybe people just fall out of memory or with the injury, you're just not the same type of player. But I still think that Mike Rodolfo is the kind of guy who could show up and you could see just go on a run of about three weeks, uh, like, like Carlos Delgado sort of did when he showed up in the major leagues. I mean, he's such a physical specimen. He's such a powerful guy. I think that's still available there. I, but the, you know, Blake Rutherford has never really put together the season that I think the Sox expected when he came over. He's a very laid back guy, but he's a, he's a skilled baseball talent. And I actually, I thought Blake Rutherford's ascent would be quicker in the minor leagues uh, in, in years past. So frankly, I hope that the schedule that our buddy Tommy Viola sent out for Charlotte sticks because I think there's gonna be some interesting jockeying going on in double A and especially triple A this year in the outfield, because again, like the opening day roster gets so much pub, but you're gonna rifle through a, a couple more dozen guys by the end of the season. And if, if heaven forbid something happens injury wise in the outfield, there is gonna be opportunity. And there are those guys waiting in the wings. And to me, I think I think Gavin Sheets is the guy that the Sox might turn to more quickly, but I do think I've always thought this about Mike Rodolfo that if if he ended up being healthy again, he could be sort of an outsized component based on what people expect. But again, I haven't I personally haven't seen these guys guys play for a couple of years now, and so the evaluation tool I think has been put in the blender for every major league team. And I'm super interested to see what qualifies as promotable now after a season without minor league baseball. Last thing, I'll let you run, Jason. So this is a, uh, it's interesting. I could ask you, I thought about asking you your, your favorite call of, of basketball and baseball of all time, but that's, that'll take forever. So going back to just last season, what was your, what was your favorite moment of the uh, 2020 White Sox season? Ooh. Is this is this the non no hitter category? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Obviously, the no hitter is number one, but a number one, and it's number two, and it's number three. Yes. Um, favorite moment from last season. I, to me, the thing that hit me hardest was the Sox clinching the playoff spot on that Sunday afternoon. Uh, that that to me was like. Was it a, I, all the days run together? It was an afternoon game. Maybe it was a Thursday. I don't know. Uh, but but the Sox clinching, like, and not having fans in the ballpark that afternoon, it hit me pretty hard that there are so many people who would give everything to be here for that moment. And and from everything I saw, even in like March and April, when people were sending me notes that I was doing on Twitter and sending to one another, the level of connectivity between Sox fans and how much the Sox are something that people do together and love together. And it reminds them of their aunt or uncle or mom or dad or nephew or grandson or granddaughter. I was just struck by how emotional that day was for so many people. And I couldn't see it, but I knew it. 
that it had been so long since the Sox made the postseason. So to me, that that hit me pretty hard as it was happening. And I thought it was a really cool day uh, against the Twins that day. I, I, now, now that I think about it, I think it was a Thursday afternoon. It was a getaway day. But uh, it, that, that moment struck me uh, pretty intensely. All right, Jason, I appreciate your time today. I know you've got to, still got some uh, college basketball season to finish up. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun one without, the, uh, you know, without fans and the tournament. It's going to I mean, playing field is wide open. I know Gonzaga and Baylor are, are up there, but you, you mentioned to me before that you think that maybe not one of those two teams is going to win it all this year. Somebody needs to get the Big Ten a title. It's been way too long. <laughs> and I think based on the depth of the league, one of those teams at the top has got like I thought Illinois was going to make a run last year, right? And then it didn't happen. I thought Illinois was really well equipped, and now all these guys are older. So to me, I think Illinois is a really scary team. Iowa, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan. Like somebody go get the Big Ten a title. All right, Jason. Thank you very much. Safe travels out to Arizona, and uh, look forward to doing this again. And hopefully, uh, everyone stays healthy and we get ourselves a full baseball season. Let's do it, Clinton. Thank you as always, and uh, we'll talk soon. Voice of the Chicago White Sox, Jason Benetti here on a Future Sox podcast interview.